Hello and welcome to another episode of Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster and today we are continuing our journey into the haunted month of October by speaking with Denver Michaels, the author of Haunted Shenandoah Valley. The abolitionist John Brown still roams the West Virginia panhandle and beyond. In Lexington, a statue sheds real tears, mourning Virginians killed in battle. Decades of abuse at a sanatorium unleashed malevolent entities into Staunton. Spirits of Native American Civil War soldiers and children frequent natural springs in Frederick County and caves near Strasburg. Ghosts stay free of charge at the nation's oldest inn in Middleton. And at the Natural Bridge Hotel, phantom children play in the halls. Visitors from beyond the grave enjoy live performances at several theaters in the region, while spectral soldiers gather for combat in the battlefields scattered throughout the area. Join Denver Michaels as he delves into folklore, eyewitness accounts, and urban legends to bring you the best ghost stories from the Shenandoah Valley. Denver, thanks for joining me. Oh, yeah. uh, Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. Now, Shenandoah Shenandoah Valley, when I hear that name, the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is the Civil War. But I was also really happy when I started to read the book to see history and stories dating from beyond the Civil War II. Um, no, but Winchester has a very interesting Civil War history. In fact, we have a book just on Stonewall Jackson and Winchester. But you also regale us with some colonial-era stories. Um, do you think you could maybe tell us a few of those? Yeah, uh, you know, in, in Winchester... The uh, the oldest house there um, in town. I, I think it was built like uh, you know 1756 thereabouts. Um, Abrams Delight. Um, it used to be like an old uh, Quaker meeting house, and um, that house has a um, has a long history of hauntings uh, behind it. And um, you know, some of them are are uh, kind of cool. Uh, uh, people have um, uh, reportedly heard, like uh, you know, like uh, the, the sounds of you know, like a church meeting, uh, uh, singing, uh, uh, that kind of thing. And, uh, and I think that those uh, those kind of tales, um, like you said, you uh, you know, you hear a lot of your your Civil War type stuff, but um, those uh, those that go way back are kind of cool. And um, apparently, when the uh, house was being um, uh, remodeled, I think. I want to say it's like back in the fifties, or you know, it was a while back. But the you know the workers, uh, you know, kept reporting of like a a ghost, like a tall man, like uh, dressed in Quaker. You know, looked like a like an old Quaker. Uh, you know, he'd like walk up the steps and and, and just kind of vanish. So there's a uh, there's some of those kind of tales in Winchester. I can imagine that. Uh... A, a church choir singing that's not there is pretty creepy because uh, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like a disembodied whole choir singing church music. Not that churches are creepy, but that sounds creepy in and of itself. Just a, a ghostly choir would be really unnerving because one ghost is already creepy, but a whole choir of ghosts, um, that that's really unnerving. Yeah, and um, there's um, at, at least uh, one of the people that uh, that uh, that works there had said that there used to be an exterminator that uh, that 
you know, used to service the, the building and all that. And uh, I guess he was just hearing a lot of uh, weird sounds and things like that. And, like, uh, he quit <laughs> and didn't come back. <laughs> yeah, that always interests me when it's re- think about filling out a job application for your next job. And you always have that line, reason for leaving. And it's a uh, ghost. <laughs> goes on there. I wonder if people actually put that if they make up a reason for why they left if it's if they actually put ghost or haunted or anything of that nature. It makes you yeah, it makes you wonder. But I mean I guess uh, yeah. you know, you go into these old houses, you just uh, you just never know what you might run into. Yeah, I mean Winchester, what a you know, very interesting place and like you said, you know, it goes back, you know, historians argue over how f- back and forth um, it actually, how many times it went back and forth between federal and Confederate hands during the Civil War? Um, it's it, it it was a very important strategic location in the Shenandoah Valley. Yeah, I mean it was there. You know, of course it's uh it's right on the border of uh, you know present day West Virginia. You know, Maryland is. It's just right up the road, and, and Pennsylvania is not all that far. So it was, you know, uh, really northern strategic point for, for both the north and the south. And, and like you said, it switched uh, switched hands so many times during the war. Um, I've, I've heard anywhere from like uh, 46 to uh, like 96 times it, it flipped back and forth. And it was just a really hotly contested place. There were a number of, you know, like, like five uh, major battles uh, right in the vicinity there. And so, you know, with that, of course, you get a lot of the uh, uh, ghost stories. Most of the, uh, the old, uh, a lot of the old, uh, Large homes, you know, in the town uh, served as like makeshift hospitals and, and things like that. So, you know, uh, George, uh, George, General George Patton, his uh, his grandfather um, actually uh, actually uh, died from a wound um, in a house uh, in town there, and uh, he's today known as the Confederate in the window. Uh, supposedly is, is spotted uh, staring out of the out of the upper floor window, and so you just have a lot of those kind of um, kind of stories with uh, these historic ties to them. Yes, yes. Wow, a Patton ghost. It is not even George Patton. It's his it's his grandfather. So let's go a bit further, you know, or back in time a little bit rather from the Civil War, a bit further from the colonial era just a little bit back from the Civil War era, but leading toward that time, and uh, to a controversial figure, John Brown, who it seems can't decide on a single place to haunt. <laughs> yeah, John Brown, um, you know, I was talking about this with a guy last night. He, he's, uh, you know, he's a very controversial figure, and... Uh, you know, generally viewed in, in a positive light these days, but uh, I guess his, his methods are, are kind of up in there, uh, open for interpretation. But uh, he was a real prominent figure, you know, in the Shenandoah Valley, and and so he, of course, raided the uh, the uh, Harper's Ferry, the the federal arsenal that was held at, at Harper's Ferry, and 
Um, you know, the raid, uh, of course, ended up being unsuccessful. He was uh, he was captured and tried for treason and hanged over in Charlestown. In both of those places, Charlestown and Harper's Ferry, there's uh, there's supposed John Brown sightings to, to this day. And even across the river, across the Potomac River, over in Sharpsburg, Maryland, um, he stayed at a uh, you know at a small farmhouse over there uh, leading up to the raid. That's where that's where him and his raiders uh, lived uh, while they were planning the uh, you know the action. And there are even reports from uh, from the uh, the farmhouse there. Um, you know, John Brown hauntings, and even um, he, he had a farm in New York. Um, there's there's uh, reports of hauntings there. The, the guy I was talking to last night, he lives up in uh, Pennsylvania, and um, you know his old uh, tannery is, is near where this guy lives, and and he told me that uh, supposedly uh, John Brown haunts that place too. It's uh, it's really weird how. Uh, one guy could be behind so many uh, alleged hauntings. Yeah, it's a. It, it makes you wonder if it's a, a residual or if he's intel has an intelligent hunting haunting at one place because he was such a you know dominant personality in life. Uh, who knows? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is, and, and I don't. Uh, it's above my pay grade to yeah, figure out exactly how how these things happen and and all of that. But uh, it, it it is uh, it is kind of cool the way that uh, you know one guy's uh, responsible for for so many things. So uh, an interesting story you told in the book, um, Jack Ma Leonard, Jack Ma Leonard. Um, yeah, Jack Ma Leonard. I guess that's how you say it. <laughs> would you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was reading a book some time ago, and uh, there was a, there was a story that uh, that uh, a woman from uh, Front Royal had had uh, had recounted, and this was uh, back in the days, like in the Great Depression days. The um, there was a, like a federal program that uh, 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 financed. Um, Writers and, and historians, you know, collecting you know, like folk legends and things. And and one of those from Virginia came from Front Royal. And a woman uh, recounted this tale of a jack o' lantern. And and what that is is these these weird, um, strange lights that uh, supposedly you see them, uh, you know, at night, like out in you'd be like out in the woods, and and people tended to be kind of inclined to follow them and and you would end up getting lost and, and, and sometimes disappear and that sort of thing and you know uh, not only with uh, you know with the tale from the lady from Front Royal in that uh, same type of uh, folk legends um, in, in the uh, slave narratives that was another one of those um, financed uh, uh, federally financed things uh, where they you know, collected um, uh, tales from former uh, enslaved people. Um, there, there were a lot of those kind of tales in there too about these, you know, just these strange lights uh, out in the woods that, that would uh, cause people to get lost and go missing. And uh, you know, as I recounted a few of those, um, uh, a few of those stories in the book, and 
Yeah, I kind of speculate a little about, you know, what what could these things be? And, uh, you know, I don't think I really have a good answer <laughs> for what they are, though. It's a, it's a, it's, you know, those, those tales are always kind of fun. And those, it, it seems like the South is something, a place that's special for those kind of, kind of tells. We have those all over the South, I feel like. Um, you know, we have, you know, down here in the, in South Carolina, low country, the boo hag. Um, it's just a special place for those kind of tales. And I, I enjoy them. Uh, I really do. And I think like learning about those um, kind of, be- well, not so much beliefs, but those kind of folk, the folklores and folktales helps you understand a place better. Um, yeah. And the people better. It really does. Um, yeah. So just to we're kind of getting towards the end, but to kind of wrap up the, a, a little bit um, towards this before we kind of get, I also want to kind of talk about the natural place that is the Shenandoah Valley, but towards the end of the Civil War, the Union, you know, and Grant's, you know, kind of is finally made in charge of the, you know, the Union armies, and he's brought to the east, and they're like, you know, we have to cut off the breadbasket that is the Shenandoah Valley. We got to starve Lee's armies, and or Lee, the Army of Northern Virginia, and it takes a little bit to do. It's not. It's not as easy to do as it is to say right. you're going to do it. Um. So you have these. You know, of course, you're going to have battles that take place, and so you're going to have even more bloodshed, as you point out, that happens in the Shenandoah Valley. Um. So this place is. You know, it's already a fertile place, and it's. And then it's just fertilized by blood of North and South. Um. Even more. And you have New Market in the book, um, Hupp's Hill, which you know leads to uh, Cedar Cedar Creek, uh, which is I think the last big battle, right, with Sheridan. Um, you know, you have them in the book. Between those two places, um, which one do you do you? Because if you go to a place, you can kind of you get a feeling when you're at a site. Do you, I think you know what I mean by that. Like, not necessarily yeah. like there's a ghost or something there, but you, you have that heavy feeling of something's happened there. When you go to these places like Newmark or Hupps Hill, and you're you know you're at a museum or there's an artifact around, uh, like what do you feel when you're there at those sites? Like, what do you feel that draw to history? Do you feel the the cost of lives there? I mean, have you ever had an experience at any of these places? What do you feel when you're there? Yeah, I mean, I'm personally in these places when I've visited, I haven't had, um, you know, I, I've not seen for myself like a, an apparition or or anything like that. I mean, I, I've talked to a lot of people that have, and they've seen apparitions or, or heard phantom noises or, or that sort of thing. Um, I've talked to people that are real sensitive to things, and they, they can feel like the, um, you know, actually feel like the anguish, I guess would be a good word for it, that, that took place. And they, they kind of feel that, uh, you know, like, like on a personal level. I, I'm, I'm not, uh, like, sensitive in, in that way. But, you know, when I do visit these places, I mean, there's, you know, especially like when I was at, uh, at Newmarket the last time, 
you know, I was I was by myself. It was a cold day, you know, it was snowy, so nobody was there. You know, I had the whole place to myself walking around, and it's it's hard to explain, but you can you just feel the what's a good word for it? Maybe like a heaviness, I guess. Mm-hmm. You just um, you, you just can't get away from you know from what took place there. I mean, uh, you know, like at Newmarket, there were. Uh, there were there were these cadets from VMI, a, a, a battalion of them. I mean, you're talking, you know, you're talking 15, 16, 17 year old boys, you know, up there, um, you know, just getting slaughtered and, and and wounded, and and there's just there's just to me, you know, when you visit these places, um, you know, it's for me, it, I, I try to be reverent, you know, when I visit, it, it's just. Um, you know, there's the history, but always just a real deep uh, uh, heaviness, I guess, is, is for me, uh, the way I would describe it. And when you were all those cadets, you know, and I, I know you've, cause you've written for us before and you know, I know you're, you know, you know, your history. And when you've read about these cadets, you know, about these cadets going into battle, it's almost like a, it's a new adventure for them. But then you also have these hardened veterans who see them coming in they're like they don't know what they're about to get into and it's it's almost heartbreaking because they see it yeah like there's this like oh hey this is gonna be great just like you know it, it harkens back to the you know first you know battle of bull run or manassas whichever one you call it you know people you know who who are you know ready to jump in or the, you know you have the first regiment or a new company joining a regiment who's ready to, you know, jump in, and then they've seen war, and they're like, that's it. I've seen it. I know what it's about now. I know I have to keep going, but it's not. It's lost its luster for me. But you have these cadets who are going and who have been trained, who, are, you know, are, who think they know what it's going to be like because they've gone to school. It's not a real life, but they haven't had that real life experience. If you actually read that about that experience for them, it's, you know, it's heartbreaking because they're what we would consider today, you know, teenagers. Yeah. They're younger kids that are in the armies on both sides that are experiencing this war. Yeah, it it is heartbreaking. And, you know, like I think about, uh, you know, my own children. I mean, I've got a son and and he's he's, uh, 22 and it's like, you know, it's like he can barely take care of himself and he's 22 and think about <laughs> these boys being, you know, six, six, seven years younger than that, you know, being, being marched into combat. And it's, it, it's just, it really is, like you said, heart wrenching. And in, in the, in the book, uh, one of the cadets, I included a, a letter or, or some correspondence from, um, you know, from whoever, Whoever it was at BMI, I can't remember, you know, his new position, but he, he had sent the, the letter to um, uh, the, the family, uh, the boy, he was from North Carolina. He sent a letter to the to the family, you know, notifying him that the, uh, you know, that his son had been killed. And then, the, you know, the father wrote back and, and just reading those words, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was really heartbreaking, the correspondence between the, the father and the uh, and the, you know, the, uh, I don't know if he was a principal or, or whatever, and, and he, he, he had said to the, to the father that uh, he too had, had lost his son in the war. And, um, you know, it's, it's, 
you know, you, a lot of people, I think, uh, you know, that side of uh, a lot of your Civil War stuff gets kind of lost. I mean, people, you know, people talk about North, South, slavery, this or that. But, uh, I think a lot of times just the, uh, you know, just kind of like the uh, behind-the-scenes kind of heartbreak, you know, when you read these old letters and things, it's uh, really, just really sad. Yeah, those letters are out there to read, you know, it from any war it's the heartbreaking especially the premonition letters i know there's you know every battle someone's going into it seems like you have so many times that people are saying well this is it for me and they survive it and they're like oh wow you know i guess you know someone was looking out for me but then you you know you do have the ones where they're like no this is it and they go the extra mile um to you know make sure everything's taken care of before they go into battle. Um, it's, you know, it's heartbreaking. Um, and I don't know, some of those final letters home were always interesting to me to read too. And, um, even like on a battlefield, you know, so far away from home, trying to make sure things are taken care of at the last, it's before they, you know, pass on to the other side it's just i don't know really you know interesting and really neat and then you know i just you know i'm reading a i'm actually reading a book right now um about the second battle of manassas um and some i mean just some uh of like soldiers from both sides taking care of each other I, i i read last night about um hood's division coming up and there are, or Hood's, one of Hood's, sorry, one of Hood's brigades coming up capturing a artillery battery on Chin Ridge, on in Manassas, and there was they captured the battery, and the commander of the battery, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name right now. He said that I, he he gets killed, and he's and the Confederates are so enamored with his courage, they try to take him back to a field hospital to give him some comfort. And he said, "I gave my word that I would either push you back, or die with my guns, and I've kept my word." And they're just so you know impressed with his honor. They're they're trying to do whatever they can to uh, give him comfort in his last moments. So even like on the two opposite sides, you see that when the firing stops or even in the midst of the firing in this case, there's some compassion where they're like, wow, this is another person that we're having this fight with. Um, you know, those yeah. stories too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and, and it, I think with the civil war too, it's, um, I mean, all wars of course are terrible, but like, like with the civil war, you know, these were, were former countrymen and, um, you know, uh, under under other circumstances, uh, you know, would 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 be friends, uh, and and that that makes it all the more um, sad and uh, it, but also interesting uh, as well. At least, yeah, it's it was a you know, it's it, it, it's part of an interesting read and the whole line of, you know, I like to, because I like to learn about the whole, you know, the movements, the battles, the things of that nature, but I also like those personal touches in, you know, especially if it's a book that includes, you know, letters about what happened during the battle. Um, but, 
the Shenandoah Valley, you know, I know you love it. I know it's a place close to your heart. And I kind of want to know about, you know, what besides the Civil War, besides that history, you know, what's special to you about the valley? You know, with, you know what about its natural beauty? What What is it about the valley that you love before we leave? Well, I think it, it, it's beauty. I mean, it's a, it, it's a really pretty area, I think, as far as the eastern uh, U.S. goes. I mean... I think it's about as pretty as anywhere you could go. You know, the valleys, that the the rolling hills and, and the farmland, but then, you know, the mountains, you know, along the sides of the valley, and especially especially this time of year with the leaves changing and all of that. I mean, you can't really find a more uh, a pretty place. So, you know, that's one thing that I've always loved and. You know, and living there for, I lived there for uh, about 16 years, I guess. I you know, used to spend a lot of time outdoors and uh, hiking and, uh, you know, used to do a lot of uh, trout fishing up in the mountain streams, things like that. So I, I just love a lot of the, uh, you, you know, of course you've got a lot of, uh, you know, you've got a lot of nice uh, protected land there too, which, uh, which is nice, uh, you know, in the eastern U.S. being being that close to, say, like Washington D.C. and, and short drive from Richmond, places like that. You know, you've got the Shenandoah National Park, you know, which you got all that protected land. You got a lot of national forest land, so I think that makes it uh, kind of unique as well to be, you know, right right, you know, an hour and fifteen, hour and a half. Uh, a minute drive from the uh, Washington D.C. suburbs. You've got just this this great uh, land. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate you having me. And thank you, the audience, for listening. Haunted Shenandoah Valley is now available online at ArcadiaPublishing.com and wherever local books are sold. Have a question for me or show suggestion? You can reach out to me at ArcadiaAuthorConversations at gmail.com. As always, I want to thank Jay and Bill's unnamed band project for the podcast theme song, and you can find them online at Jay and Bill's unnamed band project by searching for them on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and I will talk with you again soon.